We've talked about the lengths Republicans in Texas have gone to tackle illegal immigration. And Texas has done more than any state in the history of the United States to secure our border. I've deployed the National Guard who are on the border as we speak right now, as well as DPS officers. Uh, Texas is building its own border wall. Uh, we're laying in 2021, down... Governor Greg Abbott started up Operation Lone Star. Since then, the state has bused tens of thousands of migrants to northern cities. It's currently in a legal fight with the Biden administration over razor wire at the U.S.-Mexico border. Well, this week, the state legislature escalated things even further. This legislation is sending ripples of fear throughout the Latino community in the state of Texas, which makes up about 40 percent of the population of this state. A new bill heading to Governor Abbott's desk would make it a state crime to enter Texas illegally. It would also empower local law enforcement to arrest migrants and order them to leave the country. Remember, immigration enforcement is supposed to fall under the umbrella of the federal government, not the states. And that's partly why this legislation is expected to face a ton of legal challenges, although the Republican who wrote the legislation insists it's constitutional. But even faced with the possibility of apprehension, migrants continue to approach the southern border in hopes of finding a better life. And remember, the U.S.-Mexico border is really, really long. So even beyond Texas, what does that look like for the people who live directly on the other side? My guest this week is CNN senior national correspondent David Culver. He's going to take us to Southern California, where some residents say they feel powerless to address the problem in their own backyards. From CNN, this is one thing. I'm David Rind. David, it's been a little more than six months since Title 42 came to an end. And I remember there was a lot of talk about, you know, what would happen at the border once this pandemic era public health measure expired. So now that it has, what have we seen? Right. I think there was this big anticipation, David, for what was anticipated to be a, a tidal wave, right? Mm-hmm. People thought this was going to be something that crashed in uh, right when Title 42 expired and Title 8 took over. And, and yet what we saw were certainly a spike in numbers initially, roughly 10,000 encounters a day, according to the CBP. And then that dropped over the summer to around 3,000 or so. But now here we are six months later, and it seems that they've, started to understand a way in and mm. it almost feels as though it's easier for them and and we're seeing that in areas such as the border of California with Mexico in the San Diego County area in particular i mean encounters for the fiscal year were 230,000 plus so that is really significant wow. it's hit numbers that they haven't seen in more than two decades so hearing those numbers made us want to go check it out for ourselves And so what did you find? So initially we went on kind of a a scouting mission, if you will, no intention to really news gather. It was an opportunity just to meet folks and to get a sense of what was really happening in Hacumba Springs, which is an eastern part of San Diego County. And as we were talking to some of the landowners who have property that sit right on the U.S. border with Mexico, we started to get a sense that there was a helplessness, if not a frustration and at times anger. And what they have experienced is in recent months since Title 42 lifted, a number of of migrants coming into their property and either crossing through 
seeking asylum or at the very least seeking to just to be processed by CBP. And in one case, migrants camping out on mm. one man's property. So I just so, want to go right up to the edge yeah. of your property. Yeah, this is pretty much the edge. So we're still in the one person uh, who we met with was Brian Silvis. He's uh, 51 years old. Brian served in the army. Two and a half years ago, he bought this plot of land that sits right at the southern border with Mexico in San Diego County. You've got a lot of remnants of things on yeah, your property. There, too. There's been a few people here, I think. And his vision for that land is to make it a veteran's retreat. But he says his desire to build has been basically stalled because of the constant foot traffic he sees coming through. Well, no, I've been seeing it for the last year and a half. And worse in recent months? Um, like I said, it slowed down for for a little bit after that fi Title 42 thing changed, whatever happened. I don't know. They were, it was like that was back you could in hear May. an ant fart here. So slow down, and now what? And then, and then, in the last five months, probably it just picked up again. Then, and I think you have to picture what this land looks like, right? So for Brian Silvis, it's 78 acres that sit in eastern San Diego County, right on the border with Mexico, and the border wall, which runs up until his property and about 100 feet into his property, and then just stops. Because all of this. Is obviously pretty easy to pass when you oh, don't yeah. have a border wall. Yeah. And what then picks up and continues is a razor wire fence that maybe goes up to the average person's chest and is certainly easy to climb and get over. And that's you know, assuming there's even razor wire there that you have to avoid because a lot of it's been torn apart. And so the only real barrier on his property between the US and Mexico is that small razor wire fence and then the natural landscape. And then the dog, the dogs will start barking first. And then we say, oh, we'll look. And first, sure, pretty soon they're coming down the hill. And, we're and speaking with not only Brian Silvas, but also Jerry Schuster and his wife, Maria. And these people just oh, just walk. I mean, close. I mean, just like it's open border. There's no restriction. I mean, border patrol. All they do accommodate. Who are experiencing the same issues of migrants crossing through? And we're not talking a handful. We're talking dozens, if not hundreds, each day. But for the Schusters, well, their properties become a campsite. And then you start to see the fires. Yes. In the night yes, too. we can see fires from here. And they showed us the remnants of trash, of tents, of discarded clothing, and active campfires as we were there as a few dozen migrants were gathered around trying to keep warm for the night. When you look at that, what goes through your mind? Well, I, I, I think this needs to stop. It's just not good for our country at all. That, that, this needs to really stop. So... It is very telling to to see that, and you can understand their frustration to a certain extent. And it merits the question, well, what is CBP doing about that? Border Patrol, Yeah, I was going to ask, people just camping out on someone's property, that yeah. doesn't sound legal to me. You wouldn't think that uh, they'd be allowed to stay there for long, but CBP and the sheriff's office down there in San Diego County have both, according to Brian Silvis and Jerry Schuster, 
really just let it go. But they usually just walk through. They don't care if I'm there. They walk through and, and ask me which way. I'm going that way. Keep going. But you can't tell them? No, they told me I couldn't tell them to go back. Can you tell them to get off your property? Actually, they pretty basically told me no. I, really, I just got to let them stay. come through. And not only have they not done anything, according to these folks, they have seemingly allowed the migrants to stay in that position and kind of gather in spots so that each day CBP can tag folks on their wrist with the day of the week so they know how long they've been there mm. and then begin the processing soon thereafter to start getting them into the detention centers. And then ultimately, after a few days, they're released into the streets of San Diego. So we did take Brian Silvis's and Jerry Schuster's claims that law enforcement aren't doing enough, as well as to the San Diego County Sheriff. And a senior CBP official told me that stopping people from entering private property or arresting folks for trespassing, they say that's a local law enforcement responsibility. So then we turn to the local law enforcement, San Diego County Sheriff's Department, and I asked them about that. And they said that the migrants would likely just be cited and released a short distance away and that this would scatter asylum seekers and further complicate CBP's response efforts. So for these landowners, their backyards are kind of just like a stop on this journey at this point, And they're kind of caught in the middle. Exactly. And so given that migrants now see this as an opportunity for them to start the processing and basically get into the country in an easier fashion, it's got folks like Brian Silvis saying that CBP is essentially just Uber. The Border Patrol agents, I know that they didn't sign up to be Uber because that's a, all they are right now is Uber. And that's not what they signed up for. I know they signed up to patrol the border and they're not, they, they said they can't. They've told Transporting the migrants from one portion of the southern border up until San Diego, where they can then catch a flight or a train and, and go elsewhere. And roughly 90 to 95 percent of the migrants end up leaving San Diego and go to other cities, that according to one of the supervisors there. But it still puts a strain on not only the county of San Diego, but also especially for those landowners and even for law enforcement. We're less than a year out from a presidential election in the U.S. I realized that may kind of stress you out, but CNN Five Things is here to help. We're a podcast that gets you caught up on five big stories in five minutes or less. So whether it's keeping up with politics or anything else that's going on in the world, we've got you covered. That's the CNN Five Things podcast. Listen on your favorite podcast app. So physical barriers are not really an issue in this part of the border. And it sounds like CPP agents that come to this gathering spot are not a deterrent either. Landowners kind of say that they are just a ride up towards San Diego and then points beyond. So that whole idea, that whole system, it, it kind of seems backwards to me, right? That migrants are actually running towards these agents so that they can continue on their journey. It doesn't seem like... That's the way the system was designed, right? At least like the homeowners in these communities probably feel that way. So how does this get rectified if that's the current state of affairs? It feels totally backwards, if not broken, David. And I think that's certainly how 
the landowners feel, and even the folks who, you know, perhaps are are far more understanding and even borderline humanitarians and wanting to help these migrants, they likewise feel that this surge that they're seeing in, in that area in particular is just not right and shouldn't sustain uh, because of, of how much of a, a drain it is on, on local resources. What is fascinating, and you hit on this, is that in years past, many of the folks who would cross illegally into the U.S. would be running from law enforcement, right? They would be terrified to be caught. Right. Now what we have seen is this radical shift where they are flocking to law enforcement. They want CBP to take them into custody because they know, after hearing from loved ones and friends who have gone ahead of them, that there is a way in. And that is to be taken into custody, to be processed, wait a few days in those detention centers, and eventually to be released awaiting a court hearing that could be years away. And in the meantime, they're just living in America. Exactly. And I think what also stood out in our most recent trip to the border is typically we envision somebody from South America. And sure, you have folks who are Latinos, Hispanic coming over, but more than anything else, you have a very international mix that has almost superseded even the Latino population. Hmm. Espanol? No. Where are you from? And I met in one group folks from Uzbekistan. Tajikistan. Tajikistan. From Tajikistan, Kazakhstan, China, Turkey, and Brazil. And you have been traveling for how long? Flight, bus, and walking. A lot of walking. All who had met along the way and come together to continue this journey didn't really know each other beforehand, but that shows you how international it is. I mean, English and Spanish really no longer enough. Mm. It seems like a lot of the preconceptions that some people may have about this problem are shifting every year, every week. And I think that's the biggest challenge here, right? Is you can't really predict where this is gonna go right now. And if you ask folks on the ground, well, how do you fix it? Sure, for people like Brian Silvis, for people like Jerry Schuster and his wife Maria, it's about putting up a border wall on their properties that is then blocking anyone from coming in in that immediate vicinity. But there will be other ways in. And, and the determination, and we have seen this in covering the migrant story, there is a, a determination that cannot be stopped, right? That these folks, even if they are deported, I have met many of folks who are saying this is my second, third, fourth time trying to get over. They will find a way. So then it it takes you to the space of, well, where's policy and where does that have to change in order to figure this out? Mm. That's great reporting, David. Thank you very much. Thanks, David. One Thing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Paolo Ortiz and me, David Rind. Our senior producer is Fez Jamil. Our supervising producer is Greg Peppers. Matt Dempsey is our production manager. Dan DeZula is our technical director. And Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of CNN Audio. We get support from Alex Manasseri, Robert Mathers, John Dianora, Lenny Steinhardt, Jameis Andrews, Nicole Pesaru, and Lisa Namoro. Special thanks to Katie Hinman. We will be back next Sunday with another episode. I will talk to you then.
This week on The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched by our students. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app.